welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, August 28th, and we wrapped up our parables series here today. We're in Matthew chapter 13, looking at verses 31 to 33, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And on the podcast uh, today, I'm joined by my wife, Danielle. So Danielle, welcome. This is the your first time on the podcast. No, it's not. Is it not? I don't no. remember. When was the last time you were on? It's been a while. Maybe it's the beyond the maybe the beyond the sermon podcast. I think it was on the parenting podcast. Yes, you were on the parenting podcast, but this yes. is your first time on the beyond the sermon podcast. Ooh, the pressure's on now. Yeah, no. Thanks. Well, this one feels more like official. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, today we had live uh, Q and A in the service, and so Danielle, you asked questions uh, in the first service, mm-hmm. and then Pastor Mark asked questions in the second service, and. Uh, and I just want to say thanks to you because uh, you, the questions you asked in first service were way easier than the questions that were asked in second service. We got into uh, some deep philosophical waters. Pastor Mark had no mercy on me. He really, really went after it today. Oh, it's just the questions people ask. That's all. They're great questions. I've, I've said this before on the podcast, said it today. I've loved the questions that have come in from the parable series, again, as we just want to create a dialogue around the scriptures and we wrestle with God's word, we believe that it has authority over our lives and for our lives, but that, that doesn't mean that we just come to this thing and go, oh yeah, God said it, so yeah, that's how it is, you know? Uh, we wrestle, we struggle, we grow uh, in community, and part of dialogue is, or part of community is having, having dialogue, and so this is one way to do that. Um, well, we, we talked about some, some different questions already here in the service. We had a whole bunch, a whole bunch that came in. Um, one of the first questions that, that we answered in first service was this one. How, how do we help others and ourselves find belief in loss of confidence? How can we find our hope when we feel that we are lost in our trials? Um, you know, Danielle, as, you've, as you asked that question and maybe thought about it a little bit more, uh, we talked about in first service the process of remembering and uh, reminding ourselves of what God has done, right, to prompt our future faithfulness and our future faith. But but even for even for you, how do you walk through those seasons where you feel like I just maybe don't have the confidence in God or um, that I did it, or maybe don't feel like I have, a, I have the strength of faith that I have, or I'm just wrestling, struggling, doubting. Uh, how do you walk through those those seasons? Right. So. Um, the thing that came to my mind this morning was that when we are going through, I don't know, difficult seasons in our lives and maybe we don't feel like we have it all together with our faith or we don't feel put together enough to come to the Lord. Like there's some days, there are some seasons of my life where like I go into my time with Jesus in the morning and I'm like, yeah, like we're going to, I'm going to like learn all the things and I'm like really gung ho and I'm, I'm great with spending lots of time, you know, with him over my coffee, like drinking my coffee slow and, um, just diving into his word or maybe a couple different devotionals. Like I'm just all about it and I feel presentable to the Lord. Yeah. But there's other times where I don't feel presentable to the Lord. Maybe 
life has just kind of knocked me down a few notches. Um, <laughs> maybe I've had an argument with my amazing husband. <laughs> maybe. Why would you have an, amar- an argument <laughs> with your amazing husband? Isn't he perfect? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's why we need Jesus. Amen. Um, and, or like, you know, something's gone on with my kids or I've been sick a long time or whatever it is. And I'm just like... I'm just like basically coming to the Lord, um, just kind of like flat out, like, God, I I don't have anything to offer here. Like I have no strength um, and maybe no desire even to read your word. I mean, that's being really honest. Um, Yeah, that's good. But the verse that comes to my mind is in Hebrews that says that we can approach, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Mm -hmm. that we can approach the throne of God with confidence and that he will meet us there with mercy in our time of need. And that just like, I guess when my faith is lacking in confidence and I remember that, it's just about showing up. Like, I think I'm starting to learn that that's what faithfulness is about is showing up showing up to those times with the Lord showing up to do the things that he's called you to do and let God mm-hmm. meet you yeah if it's in your time like your devotional times then let him meet you there with grace and to fulfill the things you do need like that's the whole point is that God is mm. there to meet our needs yeah and so if we're not going to him with them then who are we going to them with you know, mm-hmm. and there's nobody else that can meet our needs for faith. Yeah. Um, and if it's like in any other situation besides your devotional time, like maybe you've been called to serve somewhere, but you don't necessarily have the faith or the confidence to go mm-hmm. in and do that. Mm-hmm. You just show up, like show up and let God do the work. Yeah. Because um, the thing that kept coming to my mind this morning was honestly... Um, if we could, if we could do this ourselves, if we could muster up the uh, the energy, the faith, the confidence to um, to be able to come to Him, like yeah. all perfect, then mm-hmm. we wouldn't need Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that in your answer. Like, it's it's again, it's not about us having to. Um, figure out all of those things and bring bring it all bring ourselves in completion to God right it's it is about God saying to us hey I want to make you complete right and so part of faithfulness like you said is just showing up even when it doesn't when it doesn't feel good when I may not be when I'm doubting struggling wrestling all those kind of things and and unique I think I think what you're saying there is the way that God works often in us and gets us through those situations or those seasons in our life is not by us withdrawing ourselves from God. Right. Right. Like, and it's, it's him desiring us in relationship with him. And it's not always going to be, it's not always going to be a honeymoon with God. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have those, those ups and downs. And so, uh, but the only, the really the only way to get through them with God is to stay with God in relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, as you just said, just showing up and bringing, bringing the self yourself in that season that you're in, right? Not just like, Hey, I'm ready. I'm a hundred percent. I'm all bought in. It's like, yeah. 
Man, life is hard. Ezekiel had that moment, right? Where he was like, God, I don't know if you can do this. He just saw God do an amazing thing. And he goes, I don't know if you can do this. I'm all stressed out. I'm worried. I'm afraid I'm going to die. And God goes, hey, sends an angel, says, hey, you need a nap and you need a snack. And let's get back at it, you know, but it's in nap and a snack. And, but it's in that context of relationship that Ezekiel is in with God, that he experiences that rejuvenation in even in the midst of a hardship. So, yeah, yeah, I just, so as we, as we talk about that first service, and I know as you mentioned that, especially like, and and if, and if we could present ourselves to God all cleaned up and put together, we, we don't have any need for Jesus. We have no need for a savior because we would be able to save ourselves. And that's something that we talked about in the sermon today was this culturally we have these two different narratives within our within our within our current American context. And one of them is save yourself, or the other one is is you're owed because you're a victim. And um, and these are larger cultural conversations and they have different facets to them. But the one question that came in here was about the idea of victimhood and said, your idea that victimhood can suggest to our inner self that we are also right, would you explain? Um, and so part of that is this idea, because we, we live in the American West, um, not in the, like the Old West, the, the Western Hemisphere, American version of that. We're on a guilt, innocence culture, not honor, shame culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you can make an argument that we're beginning to shift more honor, shame, um, you yeah. know, especially with the rise of social media and the, the shaming and the honoring that goes on within those spheres, mm-hmm. especially for our students and our kids, um, probably much more present to an honor, shame context than we as adults would be. But we tend to live in a very innocent guilt, guilt, innocence culture, right? Um, and we, we, that's the, a, a large lens that we see everything through. And so one of the current cultural narratives says that if I'm a victim, I was right, right? Because something was wronged, to, I was wronged in some way, right? So because I'm a victim, I'm right. And because I'm right, I'm owed. And while what we need to be careful of in this conversation is that the way that we approach that uh, here theologically has a different perspective than how we might approach it um, let's say in the in the context of my weekly life, right? So if I am a victim in my weekly life, right? Uh, I've been a victim of a crime or of that. Should should that crime have ever happened? That wrong action happened against me? No. Should there be restoration from that? Yes. Right. Um, does that naturally conclude that I would I'm right as a victim? Well, not necessarily. And this is where the nuance has to get brought into those conversations, and then that's really difficult on a large public scale. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said this morning, we should never victim blame. You know, you never go, hey, you're, that thing happened to you and it's your fault, right? There might be some consequences that I have to own of my own decisions, right? I might have made a, a choice to put myself in a bad position, but there are so many things. And again, I want, you, I want to make this very clear. There's so many circumstances you go, well, people just, it's, if they didn't make a bad choice, they're just victims, right? And we never victim blame. It's never because a, a wrong thing happened to you. It's never your, you know, we never go, well, that's your fault, you know? So it's a, it's a, it's a nuanced conversation, a complex conversation, it's situational. But when we approach it theologically, because it's such a cultural narrative within our landscape, we can begin to think of ourselves um, and even there's a cultural currency of power within victimhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, Danielle, but I, I remember growing up. So we both grew up in Western Pennsylvania and I grew up hearing and feeling like I was a victim of the wealthy aristocracy, 
right? We grew up in a blue collar, working class neighborhood. And the only reason we weren't rich, this is what I heard over and over again. The reason we weren't rich and wealthy beyond our imagination was because the unbelievably rich people that owned all the industry, they were actively holding us down. They were actively oppressing us. And you know what? There are, there's some, again, we're not going to get into a large cultural conversation here about this. There were some, there are some things, right? That were like, yeah, those are bad policies within the labor market and those kind of things. Um, And that's why unions sprung up and all kinds of stuff. But as I've moved and lived in other places, my eyes are open and I went, oh, well, there, that might, there's some merit to that conversation, but the larger conversation that never happened and needed to happen was, oh, the reason maybe you're not as wealthy as you think you should be, monetarily, materially rich, all of those kind of things, is because there were lots of bad decisions that were being made, you know? And, um, and so there was no ownership of that, right? So you get into this victim mindset and you go, okay, because because of this external thing, I'll never be able to exceed, right. succeed, right? And again, there are cultural cultural moments, things within our society that m- merit valid, specific conversation around those things. The problem is when we apply that to our relationship with God, is that we begin to get into the mindset that we are the victim, and because I'm the victim, I'm right and I'm owed, and yet. When it comes to the gospel, and what the gospel says is that no, we're not the victim. We are we are the antagonist in this. We are we we are the one who uh, perpetrated the crime against God. That is our rebellion. He is the victim, and in and in a crazy, beautiful, amazing role reversal, it's actually the victim that then offers the perpetrator the restoration. You know, and so I think because we live in such in such a guilt innocence context within the American uh, psyche, we have to be very careful of sometimes how cultural mantras creep in and influence our theology. You know what I mean? And so, so that's what we we're trying to just talk through a little bit. There's the American, you know, uh, industrialism, go and save yourself, invent yourself, make yourself, you're the hero of your own story. Well, that's that's also antithetical to the gospel, right? Because we can't save ourselves. Um, and we often talk about that, but there's also a, and there has been uh, for a long time within the American psyche, uh, this sort of uh, pro- propping up the victim and, and, and we can begin to put ourselves in those shoes with God. And that's just, that's just not the gospel. That's not true. We have to be very careful of cultural cultural conversations that then lead us into bad theology, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's I think as, as we wrestle through that and what what that looks like or what that what that means, or uh, we just want to be careful on those on those levels. Um, now, moving moving on. I mean, that's a that's a big question, right, but moving on as we talk about. Um, uh, there are a couple questions here about the boundaries or limitations that we collectively put. Um, and uh, w- this one question says, when you look at, at this body at Christ Community, what is one specific boundary or limitation that you think we collectively put on God that you'd like to see torn down in this next season? That's a big question. <laughs> Daniel, so we've lived in Ames now for six years. What are, I mean... One of the things that I often see in our context is because we're in a very academic context, life is very scheduled, right? And so that sometimes that sometimes puts limitations on how God can work. 
Well, so for Danielle, for you personally, right? As, again, as we think about this idea of putting limitations or boundaries on God, we say, hey, you can only work this way or in this fashion or uh, according to these, you know, these standards or whatever. Or whatever. Um, um, you know, for us in Ames, as I just said, we tend to, we were in a very academic, very calendared, very scheduled place. And so sometimes that creeps into how we see God work or even the plans that God has for us, you know? And so I, I even struggle with that personally, right? I can feel like, do I let God interrupt my day or does God need to fit into my schedule, you know? Um, so for you personally, uh, or, or again, maybe maybe the larger major, maybe the larger context here, how do you see or what boundaries do you put sometimes on God and the way that he can work, the way that he can intervene in your life, over your life, or even just uh, largely more culturally for, for us as a church or in Ames and the surrounding area? Right. So um, I'm definitely the kind of person who likes to plan things, um, I schedule things. Um, I generally think that my plans are really good and that I think through all the details of everything that could go on and um, you know I plan our days you know pretty pretty tightly um, as a busy family and I think that there's times where like obviously my plans do not happen the way I expect them to and mm -hmm. so um, I often see those as interruptions and or and then they get then I get frustrated by it. Um, one of my favorite things is that when we are leaving the house some mornings and a neighbor comes by with their dog and we have to stop and talk and visit and I'm like, but we gotta go, you know, and I'm yeah. looking at my yeah. watch and <laughs> even when we have like a time um, you know, table that we have to meet, we have to be somewhere at a certain time. Um, but then I'm like, well, I guess we're we need to be in relationship with our neighbors, and mm -hmm. maybe this is the Lord's way of um, developing our relationship. And look, He's brought them right to us. Like yeah. we don't even have to do anything else. But yeah, I think in the larger context of things, I think we just, I think that we just have a certain. Every one of us has certain ideas of how God is supposed to work. Yeah. He's supposed to speak to us while we're doing our devotionals or he's supposed to make me holy in like a week's worth of time or he's <laughs> it's true you know like we just don't yeah. have these yeah. ideas of how god works and how he moves or maybe we think like our children um are supposed to come to know jesus at a young age and then they will follow him and love him and never skip a beat in that relationship with him. Yeah. We just have these um, these ideas of what God is supposed to do and how he's supposed to work in our lives. But I think that they don't always work out the way that we expect them to. Yes. And so I think it's important to remain faithful mm -hmm. to the Lord Um and not put too heavy of expectations on him or mm -hmm. on our day and truly just let the spirit lead you, you know? Yeah. And it's not always gonna look pretty or neat all yeah. the time. Um, it's not always gonna look programmed. Like I think sometimes God works in the really small ways and in the relationships and in conversations. And I just don't, I think that 
it just doesn't always pan out the way we expect things to go. Yeah. But we can rest assured that God is working mm-hmm. um, despite our failed plans or despite the distractions or despite a child going off in a, a bad direction or, you know, like, yeah. I think that God is still at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those things are never easy, right? When it doesn't work according to our plans or expectations, you know, and so, um, yeah, but I think, I think you hit, as you hit the nail on the head there, like uh, for larger culturally for us, there's so much about, we are so future security oriented. Uh, we're so future plan oriented. We're calendared oriented, all of those kind of things that really begin to go, okay, do I have any room in my, in my life? And not just in my life as a functional calendar thing, uh, but as a, from a, from a spiritual, emotional, relational capacity, do I have any room in my life for God to work or move in unexpected ways? And how am I open to that? How am I preparing for that? And so like you said, I think as you said, like, well, when our neighbor stops by and you're trying to leave the house, yeah, sometimes you're like, hey, great to see you. We got to go. Uh, but other times, is there something where you're like, I got a little bit of margin and maybe we need to just have a conversation today. Maybe this is a gospel appointment. If we never engage those things, then we'll never find out if that's what God had for us, right? Um, you know, and, and so I think, yeah, those are just as you know, those are those larger things that we're probably all wrestling with of, of how to follow God into that. But that leads in, as you even noted about the unexpected things or unknown things in the future. This other question comes in and says, sometimes I find it easier to forge my path in the ambiguity of life because the future is unknown. How do we trust God with our future and make decisions to move forward? All right. In the in the ambiguity. Um, so again, sometimes I find it easier to forge my path in the ambiguity of life because the future is unknown. Uh, so it sounds like this person is even just kind of like, okay, I'm comfortable in the ambiguity. Maybe I can make some decisions. I'm flexible, those kind of things. But uh, how do we forge our path um, or make decisions in the future uh, when we don't really know the future, when it is unknown, when it is ambiguous? Um, you know, as I think about that question, one of the things that you've often said that comes back to mind is that we just need to do the next right thing or the next right godly thing, yeah. you know? And so um, how, how has that been a crucial part of your story or your faith journey, you know, of just what does it look like to do the next right thing? Right. It, the verse comes to mind that says, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with making plans. I think there's nothing wrong with wisely weighing the options and looking at the future but I think if there's something that like the last two years um, within the pandemic has taught me and that the Lord has taught me through that is that we have to follow what the Lord has for us and we don't always know all of the steps down the road we can make our plans but God will direct our steps. And I think he directs our steps by just spending time with him. In my own life, uh, when I've had difficult decisions to make, I will spend time in prayer and just Mm -hmm. listening to him and waiting on him to tell me what the next right step is. Um, I have kind of a quirky story, but my kids and I were reading a story about George Washington Carver. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that later on in his life, um, you know, everybody knows him for peanuts and peanut butter and all of that. That was just like a small portion of his life. His biography is incredible. Um, but at the end of his, well, not the end of his life, but closer to the end of his life, he, um, he advised some people to plant peanuts because everybody would like peanuts. Well, they ended up with a whole lot of peanuts. And, um, and they were like, George Washington Carver, what are you doing to us? Like, what are we supposed to do with all these peanuts, you know? And they were angry at him because they had storehouses of peanuts. And uh, this story that we were reading about him said that George Washington Carver didn't know what to do, but when he didn't know what to do, he went to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he just spent hours reading the Bible in this one particular situation. And then he spent several more hours in his lab and came up with 300 different products for peanuts. Yeah. And I always thought that was such an interesting thing, like that he, he was, he had a question about peanuts and he went to the Bible. Like that's not where I would go first. Like I would go right to work, you know, like I'd go right to the lab instead of going to my Bible. Um, and I think that God honors that when we go and we just abide with him mm-hmm. and he gives us answers to some of life's most confusing questions and he gives us directions for where we're supposed to go next. And he does it in just the, the quietest moments with him. But we have to stop. Like, yeah. We have to stop and we have to abide with him. Yeah. And that's where I've found a lot of life's direction is just by being with him. Yeah. Sometimes it comes unexpectedly and sometimes he just repeats himself over and over again while I'm reading his word. And it it doesn't necessarily direct, like what I'm reading doesn't directly correlate to what I'm searching for an mm-hmm. answer for, but the Lord just speaks. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there, there's like a mystery to how that happens, but... Um, but it yeah. is sure, and it has happened often in my life. Yeah. Well, I think, I think as you noted there, it's just the, the reality that as we are spending time with God, as we, I mean, you said this in the beginning of the podcast, right? Is that abiding relationship that just showing up, being faithful to be with God, even when it's hard. Um, when we're in that relationship, we get to know him. We, know his, we get to know his plans, his purposes, his motives, right? Those kind of things. And we see ourselves increasingly more as people who are foundationally and fundamentally to exalt God, right? To give him glory, to to proclaim him. And in that, as you're saying, right, as I know him, spend time with him, I will begin what what is the next right thing is revealed to me. And I just keep walking in that, mm-hmm. right? And as I keep walking in that, that's I'm exalting God. That's the that's that's the most important thing of my life, you know. And even with George Washington Carver, right? Even when I don't know where to go or what to do, what is my who is the one that I'm going back to? And uh, and I think yeah, maybe the Bible doesn't have instruction of what to do with peanuts, <laughs> but it it reflects a larger dependency on the Lord. And yes. so we have to we have to have that and lean into that. Um, and then there are some things in life that we overcomplicate and over spiritualize, right? Mm-hmm. Um, should you buy that house? Should you marry that person? Um, should you go to school, you know, at Iowa State or Iowa or uh, or Harvard or Dartmouth or wherever? Like, there are some decisions where it's just go where God might put three opportunities in your life, 
And you could choose any one of them and they're still all God honoring, you know? And so sometimes we over-spiritualize some things and then in other areas we don't pay attention to what it means to follow God. Uh, and we're not abiding with him, as, you, as you've as you said um, over and over, you know, hearing how important that is. I mean, Jesus said it, John chapter 15, we're to abide in him, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, in that way, that's that's good, you know. So this is last question. We had some other questions in the second hour about the philosophical reality of God and all of those kind of things. Um, about, you know, if if everything that begins to exist has a cause, well, then what caused God? You know, and how do we respond to that? Ooh. Any any uh, any <laughs> any uh, uh, answer there for uh, what caused God? <laughs> All I would say is, you know, there are lots of things that we don't understand. And yeah, that, that is a really, really big question. Yeah, I think at that point, you're just kind of kicking against the goats, you know, like you're. <laughs> Yeah. You don't you don't want you don't want to believe that there's a God, but when all around you is proof of his existence in nature and in its beauty yeah. and in the billions of kinds of fish there are and flowers, like yeah. you're just yeah. <laughs> you just don't wanna. <laughs> yeah. Well or or it comes it will it comes we get we're very we're also a very logically oriented society, right? And so well if this has a cause then therefore right, so ipso facto that must be but uh, I was talking with a PhD friend after service, and we were talking about it because I answered this question in service, uh, reflecting back on the work of Immanuel Kant. And Immanuel Kant goes, "There is truth that is knowable because the absolute source of that truth made it knowable. You and I are finite, and the only reason that we know truth is because the absolute source of that truth, or the source of that absolute truth, made that truth knowable. Right? We on our own." aren't authors or agents of truth we're simply uh, we are being handed truth down right from a transcendent source um, and so uh, uh, the, my PhD friend reminded me of the reality that uh, so philosophically so often is that because we live and experience and um, understand everything in this world through the space-time continuum that we're in it is almost impossible for us to conceive of something that would exist outside of that space-time continuum. And that is precisely what God is, right? If he is the one who can create something out of nothing, he is not bound or limited by our understanding or constructions of space and time. And so that, again, your mind just begins to explode, you know? It's like a Marvel movie. Um, Yeah. And, uh, but, but again, I think the question maybe as you pose is like, well, why am I asking that? Or why is that being asked of me? And and uh, where can I see God at work, right? But this last question comes uh, comes and just says, uh, how does Christ's community look more like the kingdom of God? So one of the things that we said today was that the kingdom of God is this work that is being done in us and through us. And so uh, some of the ways that I see Christ's community, and I'll give you a second here to think about this, Danielle, but um, the ways that Christ's community is looking more and more like the kingdom of God is that um, there are so many actions of generosity, generosity of time, of talents, of treasure that happen outside of the walls of, of our church. I like, to, I like to call these under the waterline stories, right? Because you don't see them. They're not, they're not overt. We're not publishing them and saying, hey, you know, look at these amazing people doing these amazing things. It's a little bit of the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, you know, kind of idea. Um, we, we, there's a meekness, a humility of, of this generosity. But, but the, the beautiful thing I often get to have is I get to be in some of these conversations and I'm watching people 
opening their homes to international students and to refugees and uh, caring uh, for vulnerable hurting populations in Ames. I mean, so one of the things that we've done is a couple weeks ago as a public thing is that we support Hope in Christ Backpack event. Like this is a this is a chance for us as a corporate body to engage in caring and loving our neighbors. And there's all kinds of things. Caring for Congo happens. We have uh, every week benevolence uh, caring fund happens where we're literally the money that's donated is given to keep the lights on at people's apartments, pay the rent, put gas in the car, buy food, you know. Um, and there's so many of those things that are happening. I think we talked last week where Jesus said, you know, when you did these things for the least of these, you did them to me. There's so many of those least of these stories that go on under the waterline. And it's not a, it's not a braggadocious thing of like, oh, look at us, look how awesome we are. It's a, it's so often they go under the waterline because people don't want credit for them, you know? And it, it really is a movement of God, a refinement of God in the lives of the people of God that motivate them to live those things out. Um, and hunger for God's word. I mean, so it's, 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 there's so many things that say, how is, how is Christ's community becoming more like the kingdom of God? And um, it's increasing in its compassion and its care and its love for God in, in many ways that don't often get publicly proclaimed because people don't want those stories out there, right. you know? So as you, what do you mean you, as you, as you walk and, and in, 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 in and around Christ's community, how would you answer that question? Well, I mean, I think if you were to think of it this way, if Christ's community ceased to exist, not just the church, but like all the people, Mm -hmm. all the believers that are connected with Christ's community, what impact would that have on our community? Yeah. And not just our community, but our world. Yeah. And the answer is kind of mind-blowing because if you think about it... um, take any one aspect like children's ministry if children's ministry was no longer here you wouldn't have kids that are learning about Jesus and growing up in the church and becoming missionaries and ministry workers and just all of those things I mean we've yeah. seen that I feel like when we see baptisms yeah there's all these pe- these yeah. teenagers that get baptized and or young adults that get baptized and then some of them go on to become navigators or missionaries to mm-hmm. red zone countries. Like um, that's just one little aspect. Um, yeah. Or like I sit in church and there's a whole bunch of navigator students that sit behind me. Like what would happen to the college campus if they didn't exist? You know, mm-hmm. like the kingdom of God yeah. is just blooming so to speak on yeah. campus because of those students yeah or even caring for congo the the ladies that mm-hmm. sew and so fa- they're faithfully there yes they like just on a regular basis like what would happen to the women in congo if they didn't mm-hmm. send their hygiene kits or i mean we are that's just a little bit i mean that's just a little bit but if, yeah. if we didn't exist um, as a body of believers, so much good would leave the world. Yeah. And so I think that we are growing as we are growing the kingdom of heaven right here yeah. in our church um, because of all of those things. And I mean, I can see just hundreds of ways, Bible yeah. studies and yeah. 
um, the international friends. And yeah, the, the IFP is the international friendship partners. Yes, and all of that. All of those yeah. things. Just yeah. so much going on. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things, and again, part of it here is that. You go, okay, not being braggadocious, right? But we live in a cultural moment that says, okay, where are your receipts at? Prove to mm-hmm. me prove to me if you are what you say that you are. No, I think right? if you're going to brag about something, you know, brag about the work of God, right? Amen. And yet I, the thing that I continually am reminded of as I interact with some of these stories is that people's motivation is that because they're coming in alignment with the Father. And if that's not the most beautiful kingdom moment that's growing and yeah we're imperfect and yeah we're broken and yeah we come to this thing with mixed motives and while we're doing the work of God sometimes we need to repent for those motives you know those mixed motives but so often in so many ways people are bringing with those with the with pure honest motives of God to love others and love this community uh, so the gospel will go will go forward and so uh, I love that we get to be a part of that love love the heart of our church in in that way and uh yeah. And love that we get to have the dialogue here around these questions. We had, we had a handful handful more questions here today because we had a live Q&A Sunday as we get to dive into some of these questions. And so, Danielle, thanks for, thanks for joining. Thanks for coming on the podcast today and doing live questions here this morning. Thanks in, for having me. In the service, right? It's a, it's a little bit of a wild... Kind of fun. Uh, kind of fun. Kind of exciting. Kind of scary. <laughs> uh, to do those live questions and then even just uh, dialogue here about it on the podcast. So love these questions. Love this conversation. Love that we got to do this together. And uh, can't wait to jump into the Nehemiah series next week. Yay! All right, we'll see you. We'll see you next Sunday, church. <laughs>